Hello and welcome to United's podcast and sermon archives. If you would like to learn more about our church, please go online to our website at fergusunited.org or follow us on our Facebook page. Thank you very much and we hope you enjoy this week's message. God bless. So we have spent the entire month walking through a series a message series talking about Christian essentials, things that are essential to the Christian lifestyle. Post-salvation, we're not talking about repentance and baptism and being filled with the Holy Ghost, but we've talked about some things that are vital to the lifestyle of an individual that wants to live like Christ. So we're going to spend a little bit of time in review. Today is the last one, so... We'll just see how much we've retained. You guys help me out. What are some of the things that we've covered? The Word of God. God. That was the very first one. We talked about prayer. Connection to the church. That tied in with the Word of God. The last one was last week. Faith. Faith. So when we talk about the the Word of God, there were a few things that we could do. We could read the Word of God. That's our most basic relationship with the Word. From there, we develop habits and we begin to study the Word of God. There were a few questions that you could ask, and I don't, I don't know that we'll go through all of them. I don't want to get too caught up in review, but what were some of the questions you can ask when you sit down to read your Bible? Who's the author? Okay, so who's writing? Who's, yep, who they're writing to, who the audience is. And the purpose. Yes, what is the purpose? What is the main idea of this chapter as I read through it? What, what's he trying to say? Mm-hmm. Some, key Some key verses. And then the last one is more of a question than a statement. But Looking up those words that we didn't understand. Exactly. There's a lot of times we're reading through the Word of God and there's some things that I just don't get. That I, everything else was fine, but that verse didn't make any sense. Well, that probably needs some attention. So I can go back and I can look at some uh, a lexicon. I can see what the original language was. I can compare it in other translations. And that's, that's studying the Word of God. Really digging in and then ultimately meditating on it, thinking about it, allowing it to affect my thought process and my day and, and become a part of my life. We talked about prayer Two different types of prayer, what were they? Fruits and roots. And we talked about how we focus all of our attention sometimes on the the prayers that we believe are, are most important because they produce fruit in our life. We want to pray for the sick and see them healed. We want to pray for financial situations and see blessings follow. We want to see fruit, but if there's no roots there, then the fruit is not going to be produced. That that root building prayer is prayer that just builds my relationship with God. When I'm coming and I'm talking to Him and it has nothing to do with what I need or what I want, I'm just spending time with Jesus. Amen. Connection to the body. I just gave away one of them. But what, what does the Scripture say that the church is? The body. Yeah, I gave you that one. What else was it? Two, two more things that we keyed in on there. You guys are doing really good. It's the bride of Christ. 
And then Acts chapter, I'm putting myself on the spot now, I think it's Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Nope. See, you're on your way. Let's see if I got the reference right. Nope. Yep, that's the right verse. What's the end of it say? The church. The church is the purchased possession of God. So it's the it's the body of Christ. It's the bride of Christ. It's the purchased possession of God. So individuals that say, well, I'm just going to live for God and I'm not going to have anything to do with the church, they, they misunderstand what the church is. The church is important to Jesus. Coming to church will not make me a Christian. However, if I am truly living like a Christian, I'm going to be connected to the church. We can't get the cart before the horse, but we also can't just throw it out as if it's not important. It is, it is important. We have leadership, fellowship. Our efforts are unified. We can do more together than we can on our own. And ultimately, last week we talked about faith. Faith is, is essential to the life of a believer. Faith has to be more than a mental adoption. It has to do two other things. What were they? What's that? Well, that's... Yeah, it has to be more than a, a mental adoption. It has to become a practical application that affects what? My actions. Faith is not just a mental adoption of what God's Word says. We define faith sometimes in watered-down terms of, of trusting God or believing God. But I can believe something and not act on it. I can believe something in theory and in abstract form and never take the time to look at how it practically impacts my life and my decisions. So this idea of, of just I don't want to say fake faith, but just it, it only it just it, it exists out there somewhere. That's not biblical. Real faith becomes practical and it impacts my actions. That's the kind of faith that has to exist in the life of a Christian. Today we're going to talk about one last thing. Then we're going to move on. But this is by no means a, an exhausted list. Like these five things are all you ever have to do to be a Christian. But they are a pretty good list. And today we're going to talk about the topic of mercy. Mercy. Uh, just for sake of our conversation, I want to provide you a, a layman's definition. Mercy is not executing a deserved judgment. So someone deserves judgment. Like that, they've earned that penalty. And we make the decision not to extend that judgment or not to execute that judgment. That is an act of mercy. Most often when we in the church discuss Mercy in relationship to, to the Bible, we're on the receiving end of mercy. And I'm very grateful for that. I'm glad that we serve a God that is, that is merciful. 
But if, if that's true, and I am a Christian, then I also must be merciful. Right? So let's just boil definitions down. We're starting slow today. We're going to go somewhere. Christian, what does that mean? Like Christ. So if I am happy to serve a merciful God who I then claim to be like, that should mean that there is mercy in my life. Merciful. Merciful. Mercy should be my, my first reaction. Say, well, maybe it is. Okay, let's, let's find out. What is your first reaction when someone cuts you off in traffic? <laughs> What is your first reaction when somebody, whatever, you fill in the blank? It's easy to see how necessary, how essential mercy is when we're, we're talking about our relationship with God. God, you know I need mercy. It's a lot more difficult to default to mercy when I'm talking about my relationship with other people. Because they don't deserve it. But yet, neither do I. It's not only a reflection of the God we serve and what He's done in our life. It's also an expectation of God. God expects you to be merciful. When you take on His name, when you make the decision to live your life under the label of being a Christian... God expects some things out of you. That's maybe not a a cultural message, but God does have some expectations, and mercy is one of those things. I'm going to read a a longer passage of Scripture than I normally would. Matthew 18, verses 23 through 35. We're going to read a parable that Jesus speaks, and we're going to see how He feels about mercy. Matthew chapter number 18, starting at verse 23. It says, Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him ten thousand talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife, and his children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion, and loosed him, and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. And he laid his hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion 
on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee. And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise, my heavenly Father, do also unto you, if you from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. Jesus says, I want to tell you something about the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to tell you a story and it's going to illustrate to you how, how heaven operates. And he goes on and, and we read it. He tells the story of a great and a wealthy king who took account. He held his servants accountable. I'm telling you, God does require some things of those who are His servants. And He begins to call them before Him and, and to make a, a reckoning of every account that is, is out there. And, and an individual comes in and he owes a lot of money. A lot of money. And, and the king says, alright, um, just want to let you know, payday has come. I need all that money. And he says, I, there's a problem. I don't have any of it. And he, he says, well, okay, then don't worry. I've, I've got a solution. What we're going to do is I'm going to sell you, I'm going to sell your wife, I'm going to sell your kids, I'm going to sell all your stuff, and then I'm going to get my money. And the guy does what we did, or what we would do, and he falls on his knees and he starts to say, man, just, just give me a break, I'll do anything, just, just give me a little bit of time, I'll go out, I'll find a way, I'll make all the money out, just, just whatever it is. And he, he starts to just compel this Lord of his, this king, to have mercy on him. And it's interesting in the story. Remember, Jesus is telling us how the kingdom of God operates. And the king in the story does not say, all right, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to, give you, I'm going to give you six more months. That's what I'm going to do. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'm going to set up a payment plan, and you can start to, you can start to make payment. The king in his wisdom recognized that the individual before him did not have the ability to ever pay back this debt. The debt was so great he, he could work for the rest of his life. He could sell everything he owned. He was never going to be able to pay the king back. And so the king doesn't say, I'll give you a break. I'm going to reduce the amount. He just said, you know what? I'm going to forgive you of this entire debt. You don't owe me a dime. And I can only imagine the guy walked out with the biggest smile on his face, man. He was happy. He was excited about it. He just, he just was relieved of this debt that he, he couldn't pay you imagine the stress that would be lifted off your shoulders? It doesn't even begin to compare, but it would be like the bank calling you this afternoon and saying, you know, we've been looking at some things and, and just just forget about your mortgage. You, you know, no big deal. We'd be, oh, yes. We're so happy. That doesn't happen. But in the kingdom of God, it does. And so he walks out of there. I have to think that he was a happy individual at the time and he's making his way home and he's whistling and he says I know you you owe me a couple bucks and the Bible tells us it paints a picture he grabs the dude by the neck and demands you're going to give me my money now how do you go from walking home whistling you've just had your entire life given back to you that you've got this guy in the alleyway by his neck for a couple of dollars. And the guy does the same thing he did. Oh, I don't have it, man. Just, just give me a little bit of time. Just, just. It's like he should have seen what was taking place here. It, there wasn't a large amount of time that had gone by. He hadn't forgotten about how much he had been forgiven. He just makes a decision 
Say, no, nah, man. I'm not doing that. Matter of fact, you can, you can come with me right now. You're going to prison. And you're going to stay there until you find a way to pay me. Now, I don't understand quite how the prison worked at the time because how do you stay there until you find a way to pay them back? There must have been some kind of work release program or something, but, but you're going to be here until you pay me. And it caught the attention. There's so many things in this parable. You've got to understand. It caught the attention of the people on the outside. And everybody on the outside said, that's not right. And what did they do? They went back and they started talking to this king again saying, hey, you remember that, you, you remember that one guy, right? The one that had no way to pay and, and you, you extended such mercy to him. You're not going to believe what this cat did when he left here. He went out into the street and, and he found another guy that owed him like little to nothing and took the guy by the neck, man. He made a big scene, drug him through the streets, threw him in prison, and he refused to forgive this individual. He refused to extend mercy. And the king calls him back in. He says, you know, you, you heard the end of the story. Basically, you're a, you're a wicked person. This is not what you should have done. And he delivers him to the tormentors until he could pay back, which we already know he can't pay back. And then Jesus ends the parable. I'll read the last verse again. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if you from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. Jesus tells this story, and I, I can just imagine everybody listening so intently like, wow, how could he do that? You know, we project all of those emotions on them. And Jesus says, okay, now, now while you have that imagery in your mind, that's how God's going to treat you if you don't forgive people who have trespassed against you. Because we have to understand that we have had a debt in our lives that we could not pay. We have come before God as sinners. And the Scripture tells us that the wages of sin are death. The only thing that can cover sin is the shedding of blood. You did not have the ability to make yourself clean or righteous. You didn't earn the right to be washed in the waters of baptism. You didn't somehow save up enough spiritual currency for God to say, okay, now I'll fill you with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. That's, now that you've done enough for me. No, it was, it was mercy. It was God looking down on us in, in our vile, sinful state and saying, you know what, I'm not going to set up a payment plan. I'm not going to require you to complete steps one, two, three, first. I'm just, uh, you've come to me, you're repenting, you're crying out for mercy. I, I see that you're sincere. I tell you what I'm going to do. You just forget about all of that. I'm just going to make it right. With the, with the sweeping of my hand, with the shedding of my blood, I'm just going to, I'm going to cover all of those things. I, I'm going to make it right. And we walk out of there whistling and smiling and we're happy and we're making our way home. But sooner or later, somebody cuts you off in traffic. All you were trying to do was get home. You just got all this great news and, and, and then they go and do that to you? Come on, that's right. I realize somebody cutting you off in traffic is pretty easy to get over, but, but somebody betrays you. Somebody does you wrong. Somebody mistreats you. Somebody rips you off. 
somebody talks badly about you, somebody harms you or abuses you or takes advantage of you, and there we are standing in the street with that guy that owes us a couple of bucks. And we're looking them in the eyes. And, and it just that quickly, we can distance ourselves from what had just happened in our own lives, from the mercy that we had just received. And all we can think about is you owe me. You, you did me wrong. You hurt me. You're not, you, you deserve judgment. You're not worthy of mercy. And we get so angry and we get so embittered and we're so hurt and there's, there's wounds in our spirit. And so we hold on to mercy in a clenched hand and we say, no. No, you follow me. You're going to pay for what you did. I want to make sure people know how horrible you are. I want to spread that story. I'm going to get you back. I'm going to find revenge. I'm not, I'm not releasing mercy. I'm just not going to do it. Jesus says if we respond this way, then we will be just like this individual when we one day stand before God again. And He looks down on us and says, you wicked servant. I've done so much for you. I, 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 I released you of so much debt. And you weren't willing to do the same for somebody who did far less to you. When we really put it in perspective... We have to understand that we have wronged God in such a greater capacity than any person could ever wrong us. We don't measure it out like that because that's not what we think of right away. We want to know, how, how can I make this right for, for me? They really are wrong. That's the hard thing about mercy. Is it's not like accepting an apology. They really deserve it. They really do owe you. You're justified in your anger. You're justified in your desire for revenge, and yet you have to say, it's all right. Now, I don't believe we're called, just a, a quick caveat, I don't believe we're called to be foolish. If there's an individual that has mistreated you, They've wounded you. They've maybe abused you. Mercy does not require you to put yourself in a position to have it happen again. Mercy just says, I'm not trying to hold you responsible for when it did happen. I'm not going to put myself back in that situation. I want what's best for you. You don't owe me anything, but, but I'm not going to be foolish. Because mercy is not contingent upon their repentance. Not in our case. We're just called to forgive. God calls us to repent, and then He calls us to forgive. So even if they don't come and say, you know what, I was wrong. It, it's a lot easier to extend mercy if somebody does that. If somebody comes and says, I, that was stupid, I shouldn't have done that. It's not necessarily easy, but it's easier to say, alright, you know what, we'll just, we'll just let it go. Sometimes they never do that. Sometimes they would do it again if they had the opportunity. Sometimes they're happy about it. And yet God says, forgive them. It's more than a suggestion. I'm going to read from the book of Matthew, chapter number 6. I'm going to read verses 12 and 13. 
And then we'll go and read verses 14 and 15. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 12 says, And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This is the the latter part of a response that Jesus has to the disciples' request for him to teach them how to pray. Teach us how to pray. And he, he lays out what we call the Lord's Prayer. It's not a prayer to be uttered and, and memorized and just repeated, but it's a template. It's a pattern for prayer. And in that pattern of prayer, he includes the line in verse 12, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That means in the same fashion that I relinquish forgiveness, God, I'm asking that you would do the same in my life. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. He moves on to some other important parts of the prayer and he concludes with amen. Not that prayer is over, or I'm sorry, now that the prayer is over, he immediately goes back to reiterate verse 12. He finishes the template, he finishes the lesson on prayer, and then he goes, the the very next verse, verse 14, he goes right back and begins to talk about what he just taught them in verse 12. For, if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. He, he goes through the prayer. Okay, you want me to teach you how to pray? All right, gather around, guys. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be. And he teaches them all about prayer. And in there, in, in the middle of that, toward the end there, there, there's that line that says, you know, just forgive us as we forgive our debtors. And it sounds so quaint and so easy and so nice. And it's just lovely little phrase. And he, and he wraps up the prayer and he goes, okay, now let, let's go back. Because there's something that I just taught you that you have to grab a hold of. It's not just a suggestion. It's not just a, a pretty little flowery thing to say in your prayer. This is how the kingdom of God operates. If you forgive the people that wrong you, God will forgive you. Amen. If you don't, God's not going to extend mercy in your case. We don't think of God like that. When we read our Bible, when we talk about mercy and forgiveness, we talk about unconditional love, and and that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. God loves us no matter what, but He's not obligated to forgive us just because He loves us. The Scripture says there are some contingencies upon my receiving mercy. And that is my giving of mercy. We're talking about Christian essentials. Christian essentials. So what does this look like from the outside? When we read the parable in the beginning, it talked about the the way that it was interpreted by all the other servants. Everybody else that could see what was going on. Tonight, well after dark, if you're outside of the city, I want you to at least mentally take this journey. You can do it physically if you want to. Tonight when it's dark and all everything's done and the sun's gone down, you make your way outside and you, you walk a little distance away from your house and you turn around and, and you, you look into the window. You can see everything that's going on. 
I could go and I could see the kids running around. And I could see the dog walking back and forth. I could see all of these things. Now, if I make my way back inside and I finally get warm, I go to that same window and I try to stare back out into the place that I was just standing, I can't see nothing. Nothing. It's, it's completely, completely dark. It's shadowy. It's, it's, it's uninteresting. It's hard to really see anything of value when I'm standing in the light and I'm, I'm gazing out into the darkness. I, I can't really make anything out. It's not appealing. It's not interesting. On the outside looking in, it's much, much different. This is oftentimes how it is in the spiritual realm when we're required to give mercy. We're standing in a place that's well lit. We're standing on ground from which we've, we've received mercy. And we have an understanding of what was done was wrong. And we're staring out into the darkness. And we, we, say, we say all these things. We convince ourselves that it, it would be irresponsible for me to, to extend mercy right now. How are they ever going to learn if I don't hold them accountable? As if it, it somehow has become my responsibility to teach them. And, and we justify it. We make it sound good. They hurt me. They, they deserve this. If they're in the darkness of the world as a lost soul looking with a view far different than our own. They're the ones standing outside of the light, looking back in into the lives of those who say, I'm like Jesus. I'm so much like Jesus. I'm a, I'm a Christian. I even got like a fish thing on my car. And, <laughs> right? We, we broadcast to the world that we're Christians. We're Christians. We're like Jesus. And they're standing over there in the shadows looking into the window going, okay, what's Jesus going to do then? What's really going on in there? This idea of being Christian, it's just so common. It's, it's what, we, what we talk about. You see, but a lost world can't help but see Christ when Christians extend mercy. With it being so common to us, I want to ask you a question. How many times do you think the term Christian is used in Scripture? One time. The word Christian is in the Bible one time. You say, man, we've been talking about it for a month and it's only in the Bible one time. We understand what it means to be a Christian. I want to read this passage to you. It's in Acts 11, verses 25. I'm going to read 25 and 26. Paul, the great persecutor of the church, has been impacted by Jesus. He's now Paul. He was Saul before this. And he's in a place and he's waiting for the one that Jesus told him was going to come and get him. Now, everyone in the church knows Saul as a, a treacherous individual. When Saul shows up at church, people go to jail. When Saul shows up at church, people get beat in the streets and they get maimed and at some point even murdered. It's a bad day for Christians when Saul shows up at church. And Barnabas is going about his business, having revival, 
And God says, guess what, Barnabas? I got a job for you. All right, Lord, I'm so I'll do anything for you. So, all right, I want you to go to this city over here, and there's a guy waiting for you. Uh, his name's Saul. He's like, oh, I know a guy named Saul. I'm <laughs> sure that's not who you're talking about. No, that's exactly who I'm talking about. Um, you, you know what? I forgot. I got some stuff going on that day. I don't think I can do that. But he does. And so we're going to read Acts 11, 25 and 26. It says, Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch, the church at Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. It's in the inception of this label as Christian. Right here, this is, this is where it comes from. And in all reality, it wasn't a term of endearment. It was, it, was like, um, it was like being called a holy roller in the 80s. It was a, a mocking term of the world to describe those who were living passionately like Jesus did. Saul, I, can, I, just, I can't even wrap my head around it comes walking into the doors of, of Antioch with Barnabas, and everybody went, like, what's going to happen? I can't believe, Barnabas, you, you let him convince you to bring him here. And they're sitting there, and, and maybe they had family members, maybe they had people, friends, and, and fellow believers that had been tormented by this individual who's now standing before them. And what this church does is amazing. The fact that they didn't just scatter is, is the first miracle, but they stuck around. And they didn't just say, all right, I tell you what, God did a work in your life, that's fine. We got a little seat for you over here in the back. You sit down, we're not going to fellowship with you, we're not going to spend any time because, because you don't deserve it. No, they were so merciful that they opened the doors of the church and the Bible tells us that for a year, for a year, Saul and Barnabas worked together, standing up in front of and teaching the congregation. And for a year, the people of the city sat out in the, in the darkness, looking into the window of the church, saying, I wonder what's going to happen. And for a year, they just kept extending mercy. And they just kept extending mercy. And they just kept forgiving. And, and new pains would arise and, and new things would come to the surface and people just, they just kept working through it and they just kept forgiving until finally, finally the people of the city started to say, you know what, they're, those are Christians. Those, those are people that are like Christ. They're like Jesus. That, that's what they are. And whether or not they were using it to mock the church, it was a badge of honor to anyone who truly wanted to be like Jesus. It was the extension of mercy that merited such a title. We want to be Christians. What, what's essential to the Christian life? Mercy belongs in the conversation. We have to be people that are willing to give mercy. I'm going to close with one final scripture. Come. Micah chapter number 6 and verse 8. The prophet says, He hath showed thee, O man, 
what is good? And what doth the Lord require of thee? And then he says three things. But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. Sandwiched in the middle. Yeah, listen, do your best. Do your best. And then love mercy. Love mercy. That, that means I have to begin to embrace the opportunity to release somebody of what they deserve. Why would I love that? Why would I even like that? Because every single time I do, it's an opportunity for a lost world to see through the windows of the church and say, that's, that's what Jesus is like. That's, that's a lot like what Jesus is like. <clears throat> May we reach a point that we're not just willing to give mercy, but that we love it. I've read that scripture so many times and I, I always interpret it the same way. You know, do justly, love mercy. I'm going to love the mercy that comes my way. And that's an easy conversation to have. We all love that mercy. But I don't want to just be, be willing to somehow kind of let go of a little bit of mercy. I want to love, I want to love mercy when it's required of me. May we see each offense as an opportunity to show Jesus to a lost world. May we reach a point where we're labeled as Christians, not by the fish on our car, but by the words of the people in our community. That's what's so cool about me, about, or to me about that label is it's not like they got together and said, what are we going to call ourselves? Let, let's go with, no, no, this wasn't their idea. This is what lost humanity said about those who were willing to give mercy. And ultimately, may we as a result have access to the mercy that we so desperately need ourselves. With an understanding, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. God, why do I feel like I keep coming back up against this, this same struggle, this same thing? I keep, I keep dealing with this condemnation from the, from the same thing that I've been trying to repent of. Well, is there some mercy you haven't let go of? You know what, Lord, your word says there's no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. And I've repented of this, but I just can't seem to get past it mentally. It just keeps stirring around in my spirit. Maybe, maybe it's because God can't relinquish the mercy you need because you're harboring some bitterness somewhere in your soul. I'm digging deep at the end of this message because we've got a way as human beings of just repressing things down so far. That we don't even know we, we don't even know why we're angry anymore. But there's there's something there that just there it just won't let me go. Every time I think about it, I get mad all over again. My mind starts to wander down the trail of, of what it would be like if I just had the opportunity. If I could just do it again, I, I would say this and I would act that way and I, I'd get them back, boy. I, no, 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 no. You gotta let go. You've got to give mercy. You may never have the opportunity to talk to these individuals. But you can, within your own spirit, make the determination, if I ever run into them again, they don't owe me a thing. I'm letting it go. 
that all their debts are covered. They don't owe me nothing. Mercy. Search yourself today. Let's, let's take some time and pray. God, if there's anything that we've pressed down, if, if maybe it's not even in my mind anymore. It's just become subconscious. I've held on to it for so long. Lord, I'm praying that you would, you would dredge the deep places of the heart and the soul today as we, we seek after this. I'm praying, Lord, understanding that we need your mercy so desperately. We need it so desperately. And if the enemy can't convince us to, to live a life of repentance, if he can't convince us to forsake repentance, he can plant seeds of bitterness that will hold your mercy at bay. God, I'm praying that you would help us to be a people that are willing to forgive quickly, not to harbor hard feelings and resentment. I'm not praying this prayer to justify the actions of those that have wronged the people of this church or, or those that might hear this message. God, I just I don't want it to stand in the way of them being on the right end of your mercy. We need it, God. We need it with, with everything in us. We, we have a debt that we cannot pay. Every hurt, every pain, every scar right now, I pray, Lord, that you would just minister in a way that only you can. That you would do the things, God, that only you can do. You know the secret places of the mind that we don't talk to anybody else about. The wounds that take place way, way, way back in our story that we've just held on to privately. Even right now, Lord, in the basement of a building in the middle of Fergus Falls, there can be prayers prayed that release people of the consequences they deserve. Mercy can be given right now, Jesus. Help us get to that point. Even with an understanding of, of what it is, even with a, a mental knowledge of what's required, it's hard because it involves my emotions. Help us, God, to do those hard things today, to pray those hard prayers, to get to a place where we can let it, we can let it go. We can let it go. Whether they ask for it or not, we can let it go.
I want to finish reading that verse for the last one. We're going to close out our service. It said there were three things that were required of us to do justly, to love mercy, and then look at the last one, to walk humbly with thy God. You know, when, when we're tempted not to release mercy, it's because we're focusing on what was done to us. The remedy to that is if I will continually humble myself. If, I, if I'm walking humbly, then what happened to me isn't the most important thing. Jesus, we thank you so much for what it is that you've done for us. Price so great, I, I know I could never pay it. Help me to be careful how I speak about people. Help me to be careful about how I act toward people. But I want to be mindful of these things. I don't want to say or do things that are meant or motivated by opportunities to create my own sense of justice. I want us to be a church, Lord, that's willing to give mercy. I pray for every person under the sound of my voice that you would help us to make these decisions. Ultimately, Lord, we want to live our lives in such a way that the communities we're a part of look in and they see you. And if we've got to carry a few scars to reach the souls around us, and so be it, because that's exactly what you did for us. And I want to be like Jesus in every way, shape, and form. I thank you so much for it, Lord. Thank you for counting us worthy to build your reputation in the areas that we live. We're grateful. We pray today for help. We ask it in Jesus' name. bless you. Thank you for listening to our podcast this week. We hope you enjoyed this message. Remember, if you'd like to find out more information about our church or to contact us, please go online to fergusunited.org. And also don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app. That way you will be automatically notified of our new episodes. Thank you very much and we hope you have a great week. God bless you.